Isn't that clever? I, I love our team here. You know, they just come up with all these great things. I don't even have to preach the sermon. You gave the whole thing right there. How, how many times have you guys, uh, I don't know, when, when someone claps when you say you're not going to preach, that's not a good sign, is it? <laughs> wow, Lord, help me. <laughs> you know, I, I, I get these text messages and, you know, you start getting this language and stuff like that. And you, you you realize, you know, that you get this OMG, you know, and you're thinking to yourself, wow, when God became an expression, that's really interesting instead of an object of worship, right? And, and if this whole thing, OMG, it begs a question, right? Like, who is your God? That's what it's saying. And for all, for all of us, this question is really important. Um, it's important for us to know who our God is, but even more important because there's a consequence to it. Is, is knowing the difference between, you know, having a God and, uh, and choosing this God versus choosing actually the God who is. And w- when we make that confusion between the God I choose and the God who is, you know, uh, it leads to real trouble within our lives. We're going to be looking at this a little bit today. You know, Jeremiah, it's got this great promise, and I know Christians love this verse. I hear it all the time. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, uh, to give you a future and a hope. And, and I don't know about you, but for me in my life, it's like this vision from that verse is this great desire I have in my life that somehow that my life would count for God, somehow that it would really matter, that somehow the way I live my life would make a difference in the world and, the, and that, that it would be obvious and, and it would be seen in this way. But sometimes when I look at my life, I don't know about you, but that's not what I'm experiencing. Sometimes when I, when I look at the details of my life and some of the things that have happened in my life, and I, and I wonder just what on earth has happened. And my guess is probably the answer is, is erosion. Um, we're in the second week of a, of a series in the book of Isaiah called Erosion, How Our Failures Affect Our Impact. And the impact that it's talking about here specifically is our impact for God, upon other people, and upon the world itself. And um, I guess probably most of us are familiar with the term erosion, right? I mean, we just saw a really great bumper that was created uh, about erosion. We've read the newspapers. We've watched the headlines. We've certainly, certainly seen the amount of hurricanes that have happened come across the United States, tornadoes that have destroyed homes and, and left people homeless inside, and, and, and this is a part of the power of the wind, right, against an object, the erosion that takes place in this area. You know, when I think of erosion, actually what it does is it brings me back to my childhood. I, I had this favorite story, a children's story when I grew up with called The Three Little Pigs. You guys remember that story? You know, there was this, this mama pig, and she sent out her three little boy pigs into the world, and she left them just with this advice, you know, that there's this big bad wolf that wants to eat you, so be careful, so the story goes on that the first little pig built a house, and he built it out of straw, right? And the wolf came along, and he huffed, and he puffed, and he blew it down, and he ate the pig. Second brother builds his house out of sticks. The wolf comes along, and he huffs, and he puffs, and he blows it down. He eats the second brother. But the third little brother is a little smarter, right? He built his house out of bricks, and the, and the, and the wolf came along, and he huffed, and he puffed, and he huffed, and he puffed, and he huffed, and he puffed, and he puffed, and you know, he had that problem with breathing, right? He couldn't, he couldn't blow the thing down, and he, and he was safe. 
And the thing that I drew from this story as I was thinking about erosion is that erosion is really a choice that we make within our lives, isn't it? We get to choose, just like this pig did, whether it's going to whether it's going to have victory over us, whether it's, going to, whether it's going to beat us or not in life. It's a choice. And, and I'm kind of amazed that people ignore the fact that it is a choice. Like you see people that, whose homes are destroyed and, and blown away by a hurricane, and what do they do? They build their house right back in the same place that it was blown apart. Or, or maybe they're in the Malibu Hills, right, and they build this luxurious home, and the, and the floods come, right, and there's a mudslide, and their house slides down, and what do they do? They go back and they build their house right back in the same way. You know, it seems simple to me to understand how to deal with erosion in the physical realm. But the concept of dealing with erosion in the spiritual realm, that becomes a little bit more complicated. It's a little bit more difficult. And we're going to be talking about this subject uh, today. Jesus actually alludes to the reality of, the, of spiritual erosion in the lives of people when in Matthew chapter 7, 21 to 23 are these words, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, will, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness." This statement of Jesus clearly defines the reality that spiritual erosion can take place, and these people didn't even know it. So one of my goals for today is for us to understand, how can I avoid spiritual erosion in my life? Or how can I keep my relationship with God standing firm? Maybe it might be a better way of saying it. You know, one of the outcomes of today's message is I want you to kind of walk away with is this reality. Erosion is a choice. It's not a chance. Jesus speaks to this reality by completing the conversation from the words that we were earlier reading. In Matthew 7, 24 to 27, he says, Everyone, when one hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So why is spiritual erosion so hard? I mean, that's such a clear picture of the problem, right? I think it's because, like the three little pigs, we underestimate the power that's coming against us. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You know, losing a house from erosion, that's a great loss. That's a painful loss. But losing a relationship with the God of the universe is a tragedy, Today, we're going to be focusing our study on the special, unique relationship that God has with the nation Israel. And, and this is really what the book of Isaiah is all about. This is, this is the story of Isaiah, is the special relationship between God and Israel and what occurred because of spiritual erosion in their lives. And I know that that one of the unique things is as I read the story, I was seeing a tremendous parallel that was taking place, you know, 
between what I see as the nation Israel's relationship with God and the church's relationship with God. You see, the, the nation Israel is called the wife of God, and, and the church is called what? The bride of Christ, right? And one of the things that's, that, that God calls both of us to do is to love God with all our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength, right? And we also know that the Bible tells us that if we sin, that it separates us from God. So I want to give you a little backdrop to this whole storyline of Israel that we find in the book of Isaiah. The relationship of Israel was built on a covenant that God had made with Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, and the children of Israel themselves. <clears throat> God makes four promises to, to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 to 3 and 7, and I'll give those to you. I will make you a great nation, and that was the nation of Israel. I will make your name great. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And to your offspring, I will give this land. When it speaks of the covenant made with Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 7, 6 through 11, we read these words in verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples that are on the face of the earth. In verse 9, it says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. God's choosing Israel on account of Abraham was unconditional. It was the third promise that he made. An unconditional covenant is one that doesn't have an if and a then statement to it, right? But with the nation Israel, their presence in the land was a conditional, a conditional statement. It has an if and a then clause to it. And we find it in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And this is the choice that God gives them to choose life. See, I have set before you today life and good and death and evil. And if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering into possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but you are drawn away to worship other gods and to serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. In verse 19, it makes it really clear. I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. God says, therefore, choose life. Man, it just seems like such a beautiful picture. That's the place I want to be. I want to make that choice. And yet the reality is, Israel doesn't choose that. In fact, it tells us, God tells Moses that, that they're not going to make that choice. In Deuteronomy 31, 16 to 18, it says, And the Lord God said to Moses, Behold, you're about to die down with, to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise up and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering and they will forsake me, and they will break uh, the covenant that I have made with them. I want you to know something. I, I actually, I'm just so blessed by the fact this is recorded in Scripture, because I believe that Israel's failure is meant to be a lesson to help us succeed in our relationship with God by preventing spiritual erosion. This is a great thing for us. Uh, it, this whole picture as we get into Isaiah chapter 2, which we're entering into now, so you can turn that way in your Bibles if you want to. 
The way God has laid out chapter two is he's getting ready to speak to, to Israel. It's kind of like a commercial I saw when I was really young as a kid. It was a commercial about cigarettes. You remember cigarettes, right? You know, and every cigarette pack's got that statement by the Surgeon General on it. You know, it's like, you know, smoke this, you die. You know, it's just really clear, right? And yet all these people were continuing to smoke cigarettes. And you're going, you know, smoke this and die. What's the problem, right? But obviously it wasn't working for them. Words weren't working. And so what they did is they gave a picture. They had this tremendous commercial on television, right? And in this commercial, they have this picture of this perfect lung. I mean, it's a beautiful lung, right? It's a, it's a lung uncontaminated by anything. You're going, man, that is really healthy, right? And then they show you this picture of a person who smoked, right? And it's like tar is dripping off the lungs, you know? And you're looking at this, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, my gosh, you can't breathe. You're going to die. Wow, that is a vivid picture. Well, why did they do that? I mean, why did they make this picture and show it to us besides grossing us out? It's because, look, if people didn't change, they were going to die, and they needed to change. And Israel's in this place also. And so, so Isaiah chapter 2 is this picture of a good lung and the bad lung. God's plan is what we're going to see in chapter 2, and, and he's giving Israel the choice to live. God gives Israel this beautiful vision of what it would be like if they walked with him faithfully all throughout their life. And then he also gives them a vision as what's going to happen if they don't obey him and they go after false gods. So verses 1 through 5 is this picture of, of the good lung. It's the picture of the good life. It's the picture of the choice for life. The word of the Lord that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest mountain of the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And, all, and many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. You know, you see this great picture of the fact that because Israel has been so faithful, the whole world goes, Wow, look at the blessing that they've received. I'm going to give our lives completely. Let's go to their house. Let's, let's find out about their God. Let's learn. In fact, the impact is so fantastic that there's no more war in the world, that all the tools that were used for weapons of destruction become tools for agriculture and for feeding the people and creating a greater blessing that's inside of them. Have you ever wondered what the influence that God would have through your life on, on the rest of this world, what it would look like if you lived your life completely, wholeheartedly following after God. You know, the Bible tells us that the, that the key to it is loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and all of our strength. And so in verse 5, there's this call at the end of this section to Israel, and it says, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Because as long as we've got God's light, we're going to make the right choices, right? That's what God was seeking to choose, to show them. He also shows them the consequences of a life that goes completely away from him. Israel's problem was false worship. And it's found in Isaiah chapter 2, 6 through 22, because it, they seek to head after other false gods. And God paints this picture of the waiting doom that's going to happen within their life if they get to that particular point along the pathway, a life void of God is a life just full of self. And we see the, the signs of it uh, in, in verses 6 on down where, 
where God gives us the evidence, the possessions, the power, the pride, the false gods. In verse 6, it says, God has rejected your people, the, the house of Jacob. And, and he lays out the reason why. This is the Lord demonstrating there's evidence because they're, they're full of things from the east. They have fortune tellers from the Philistines. They're filled with silver and gold. They're relying on the horses and the chariots for their strength and for their deliverance taking place on it. And their land is filled with idols. And they bow down and they worship the things that were made by their own very hands. And, and folks, there's this picture that takes place that there's a time that, that happens in your life and in my life if we rebel far enough down the line that, that we've crossed the point, we've hit the end, there's no more chances and God's judgment is going to fall. And, and, and this is called the day of the Lord, and this is what's happening there, because they lifted themselves up instead of lifting God up. And so from verse 9 down, we see God attacking man's desire and, and his, his decision to lift himself up above God. And in fact, it's so powerful. It says man's going to be humbled. He's going to be brought low. He's going to be hiding in the dust. He's going to be afraid of the terror of God. It says in verse 11, the haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled. Ten times, verses 12 through 16, God uses this word, I am against them. I am against them. In verse 9, it tells us there's no forgiveness that's available any longer for them. In verse 17, God tells us the truth. It says, the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. They're going to experience the poor decisions that they made in life and the powerless place that it's brought them to. It says in verse 19, this last section, enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground. Verse 20, cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship to the moles and to the bats, to enter the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs from before the terror of the Lord, from the splendor of his majesty, which rises to terrify the earth. And God gives a specific command of what the problem was in verse 22. You might have underlined it, circle it. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? You know, the reality is, is that we look to the world for solutions, but the reality is, is that we all die, right? There's breath in our nostrils, we don't actually ever know the end of the story from the choices that we make. Only God knows it. So we ought to believe God, right? This is the one who we ought to listen to. But the reality is that it doesn't happen. And you ask yourself the question, what is the reason for this madness? God gives this beautiful picture, and, and yet there's this end of choice of death that occurs. Well, the cause of it is spiritual blindness. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 to 23, it says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the spiritual darkness? You know, the farther we get, the, the farther we get away from God, the darker it becomes. Why? Because the Bible says, God is light. And in him, there is absolutely no darkness at all. So the farther your life moves away from God, the less you can see the reality of life. The farther your heart gets from God, the colder it gets, the harder it gets from God. I want to show you this, this morning three choices 
that led to the hardening, the greater hardening of the life of Israel through the choices that they were making. All of these choices moved them farther away from God. This is what we call the path of spiritual erosion. The first one is, who is my source of life? You know, that's a question that we need to know the answer to, right? Deuteronomy 8, 17 through 18 says this. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and my might, the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. You know, the failure of acknowledging God's blessings in our life is a, is a worship of self, a self-worship. And, and when we do this, we disconnect from God and, and we stop realizing that everything that gave us the joy and the satisfaction in life came from God. Because we're just thinking about all that we have in life is made with our hands. And, and I, I don't know how to describe it, but I think you know that if you're in relationship with God, that the joy in your life is that connection that you have with God, and nothing else can take that place. But when that connection is lost, we become confused, and we begin to seek other things in our life to try and and give us the satisfaction that we've lost. And so we go to this next step of decay. Who brings me satisfaction in life? You know, when we get to that point where there's not satisfaction, we begin to look around us, and we want what the rest of the world has. And we begin to worship, basically, the world because we're unaware that the dysfaction in our life comes from the consequences of our decision to move away from God and no longer have him within our lives. In Deuteronomy 7, 3, and 4, it says this, you shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. And then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. You know, one of the questions we need to ask ourselves today is, you know, as I looked at the relationships in my life, who do they reflect? Do they reflect the world, or or do they reflect God? You know, I meet Christians all the time who are are struggling in life, and, and yet the struggles have come from the decision that they made to marry an unbeliever. This, this concept of going out to the world to think that they're going to find joy and they're going to ha- find happiness when God told us this is not the way to go. But we're seeking because God isn't in our life anymore, right? Students, you're here. You're at school. Who are you seeking to make your friends? Who are you trying to hang with? Who are you trying to become alike? You know, I think about, you know, even in our own homes and the things that we're involved with. You know, if we did a, a quick look through each other's DVDs, What would it look like? Where are we trying to get our satisfaction? Would they reflect a relationship with God or a relationship with the world? You know, one of the things that I've learned is if you live with people long enough, their gods become your gods. And so the question of who saves me from destruction, when you're in that situation, which Israel was, and when, when they look at the land and the land is dry because God has shut up all the rain on it, and as a result of it, the crops have failed and all the blessings, and there's nothing left for them to, to try even to satisfy themselves with. You know, they look around, they go, because they have no knowledge of God at this point, they're so hardened inside. Hey, what do you do? And of course, the people of that land, they said, well, we worship Baal. Baal was the, the storm god. And their problem 
was that the water, the lamb wasn't watered, right? And man, if the lamb was watered, then we would have everything that we needed, and they sought Baal to bail them out, in a sense. Deuteronomy, no, I really didn't think of that pun when I was coming here, but there you go. Deuteronomy 8, 19 through 20 says, if you forget the Lord your God and to go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you will perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so you shall perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. I want to ask you the question, who do you turn to when you're in pain? You know, when our life is being separated from God and and we can't find satisfaction in the things of the world, our life can really become painful, very painful. What is the solution? Who are you looking for to solve these problems? Are you looking for your finances? Are you looking for your job? Are you looking for your friends or sports or drugs? Or what is it that you're looking for that's going to save you? You know, this heart is so hard that, that Israel has created within themselves. But I want you to know something today. I don't care where you're at in your relationship with God right now. God will make a, back, a way back for you if you just want it. If you want it, God will make it back. How do I know this? Well, Because God wanted Israel to come back even after knowing that they were going to leave him. In Deuteronomy 31 through 2, it says, And when all these things come upon you, both the blessings and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord God has driven you, and you return to the Lord your God, you and your children. And then it goes on in verse 6. It says this, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. You see, no matter where you're at today, you know, I, you're in this place today not because you decided to come, because God wanted you to come. That's why you're here. We often think that we're seeking after God, but God says he's seeking after us. He desires a relationship with us. And so what's the cure for spiritual erosion that takes place in the life of Israel, but also takes place in our lives? It's found in Isaiah chapter 44, God's provision. He has some lessons that the nation Israel needs to relearn, because as the Bible tells us in Romans 12, we need to renew our minds. And the first thing that we need to understand is, who am I? When we get lost and confused and far from God, we, lose, we forget, who am I? Who, who am I? What am I doing here? In Isaiah chapter 44, 1 through 5, God does something very significant. It's so hard to come back to God when we've messed up. But you know what? God removes the shame from us because he tells us that we matter to him. In verse 1, it says, But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. See, God is reestablishing their understanding that, that they are special to God, that they matter to God, that God wants them in relationship with him. In fact, it says, but how does this happen? How do they know this? How does their heart get quickened? It says in verse 3, I will pour out my spirit upon you and your offspring. You see, the reality is that the only way that we can reverse spiritual erosion, we can't do it ourselves, but God will do it. God will do it. And as a result of his work within our heart, we hear these words for the first time from these people who had, who had been so far from God. In verse 5, it says, this one will say, I am the Lord's. I am the Lord's. But the second thing that needed to be reversed within them 
was their concept of who God was because they were confused about their belief in who the true God is. You know, one of the beautiful things I love about this passage, verses six through eight, is it says of God, I am the first, I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. You know what I love about that? I I love the fact that God has chosen me and he knows all things. He knew that I was gonna mess up. He knew even though I committed to follow him so carefully in the beginning that I was gonna blow it and all these different things, but he's the God of the beginning and he's the God of the end and he knows it all. And that's what makes God, God is that I can trust him. He's a God who can truly deliver me because he knows the beginning from the end. And he shows us that he's called out to the rest of the world and he says to them in verse seven, let them declare what is to come and what will happen, but we know they can't. And then he says in verse eight, is there a God besides me? There's no rock. I know not any. So God gives us a sense of belongingness and identity that we matter to him and that God has the power to heal us. But God also needs to bring to mind the source of our failure. And that's what we find in Isaiah chapter 44, 9 through 20. One of the things that we have to realize if we're ever going to get better is that we were broken, right? And one of the problems that we have in life is that we identify our sin with our identity. Our sin is not our identity. Our identity is that God has created us to be image bearers of him, that we belong. But we've fallen into sin, so we need to understand what that failure is. And God begins to break this out as he looks at the whole concept of false gods. It says, all who fashion idols are nothing, and they don't profit you at all. And then he begins to talk about the people who craft them. And he says, you know, the craftsmen, they're only human. And he talks about the ironsmith. And he says, you know, the ironsmith, you know, when he's doing all this work, he gets hungry, his strength fails, and when he doesn't drink water, he becomes faint. And then he talks about the carpenter, you know, and he, he says, the carpenter has such great skills. We know that, right? I mean, he's able to draw these straight lines and use his compass, and his measurements are incredible and stuff like that. And he works with everything, and he makes this wonderful God, right? He makes this wonderful God, but there's something wrong with his judgment. In fact, what he says is that he's technically smart, but when it comes to his judgment, he's got a head of squash. And how do we know this? He says, well, because... He takes this piece of wood, and with this piece of wood, you know, that he carves from a tree, part of it, he starts a fire with, and he begins to warm himself, right? And then he grabs some food, and he starts cooking his food over it, and he's doing that. But then with another piece that comes from the same tree, he starts carving a god. And then he bows down, and he starts worshiping it. And he says to it, deliver me, for you are my god. And God points to him. He says, this is the real problem. In verse 18, they know not, nor do they discern, for he, that is God, has shut their eyes so that they cannot see in their hearts, so they cannot understand. They don't know what they're doing. And that's what it's like to be in the world without God. We just, we're just living, but we have no idea what we're doing whatsoever. In fact, in verse 20, he concludes with this. They have a deluded heart that has led them astray, and he cannot deliver himself. You know, when we're in darkness, we're in darkness. We're apart from God. And one thing that we need to, leave, to learn, and the last thing that God gives us is this lesson we need to relearn, 
is that we can't deliver ourselves, but there is a source of redemption, and that's in chapter of 44, verses 21 to 26, and he begins by saying this, remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgression like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. For the Lord, it says, has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I want you to know that no matter where you are at today, God desires to heal this relationship. And God has provided a way. I love that passage right above it where it was talking about who God was because it used the words, he is the beginning and he is the end. And we know that if we go to the book of Revelation, the person who is the beginning and the end is who? It's Jesus Christ. And God sent Jesus Christ into this world because he loved the world so much in order to die for that sin that we might have eternal life with him. And the Bible tells us that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved will be saved, anyone who does it. God has promised to Abraham that through his seed, the whole world would be blessed. You know that that through his seed, that is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ desires for you to reverse the spiritual erosion in your life, to really experience, to choose a life that he wants to give you, to stop it from eroding further today. And all we need to do is accept him as our savior. God presents him easily to us because he's already done all the work. And I'd love for this moment to be that moment in your life where you begin to live again, where you begin to experience life again. And God can do that for you. And I'm gonna pray a prayer right now. And if you pray this prayer with me, God promises to restore you back to that place where you begin to know who you are and who he is and what to avoid in life and to count on him as being your Savior and Redeemer. So as we close with this prayer time, we're going to follow by a time of of rich communion where we actually celebrate the work of Christ. It would be great if you come to know Christ today to be able to participate in it, but let's pray. Oh, Father God, I just know in my life, Lord, there's been so many times where you've asked me to choose life, and I haven't. And God, I've seen my relationship erode away from you. And God, I I, I can remember how that eroding brought me so far from you, I couldn't hear your voice anymore. But God, you said to me, if I would just receive Jesus Christ as my Savior and believe, God, that he died for me and that you raised him from the dead, Lord, that you would save me. And so, Lord, I make that decision. I make that decision, Lord. I don't want to run anymore. I don't want to hide anymore. I want to receive life. And so, God, would you help me to walk with you? Would you give me the light Would you give me the spirit? Father, would you give me the strength to choose life this day? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. 
To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.